0: Let's open in prayer. Father, thanks so much for a beautiful day out, a beautiful sunny day. And thank you for bringing us out safely to your home to study. Help us to understand and uh, look forward to that day. We stand in heaven and enjoy your presence forever. And we do look forward to that day, Father, when we will stand perfect before you. Open our hearts now as we study and thank you for this time together in Christ's name. Amen. Um, Last week, we talked about who the citizens are in heaven, um, holy and elect angels, the 24 elders, the church, the redeemed Israel. Um, we're going to also have all the redeemed of all the ages, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Um, you realize that everything you really value is in heaven. Everything that's really valuable is there, not here. Let's look at the heavenly temple. This is interesting. Um if we, were, if we were to die right now and go to heaven, um, the metaphor—not the metaphor, but the uh, image of heaven that John gives in the Book of Revelation—is that there's a heavenly temple in heaven. There's sort of a temple. In fact, in Hebrews, Book of Hebrews, um, the writer of Hebrews says that the Israelites were commanded to be very careful to make the tabernacle, just like God said, because it was a pattern of the true tabernacle, which is in heaven. It was a pattern. Um, it was it was a picture of the true tabernacle or true temple that is in heaven. Now, one of the questions we might ask is: this a forever thing? Is the temple a forever temple in heaven? And uh, the answer is no. Um, it's a temporary thing. And how do we know that? Well, in Revelation 21, it says there is a new heavens and a new earth. First heavens and first earth have passed away. So. If we are to die today and go to heaven, that heaven is not the same heaven that's going to be there for all of eternity. What we have is a picture in heaven. It's a picture. It's a representation. And uh, the reason for this temple, the reason that the tabernacle was given as a pattern of the heavenly temple, is right now during the period of human history prior to the eternal state, what is mankind's real problem? I heard it. Sin. And what has sin done? Separates us from God, right? That was really the picture of the Old Testament tabernacle and temple, right? Um, the, the picture there is God is saying, if you want to understand you know, most of the Old Testament, God is saying, I'm holy, you're not, stay away from me. Um, you should stay away. You can't be in my presence because I'm holy and you're not. Um, and for you to come into my presence, here's how you do it. Here's the way in which you can approach me. Um, and you've got to do it this way. And if you don't do it this way, you can't approach me. And that's the message of the Old Testament. It goes back to the garden. What did God tell Adam and Eve when they left the garden? You can approach me, but you do it using what? What did Abel bring? A sacrifice. A Blood sacrifice, not the fruit of the field like Cain did. Cain is forever an image of someone who says, I'll approach God on my own terms. I'll come to God my way. And he'll, he'll just accept it because that's who he is. And God is basically saying, no, it doesn't work that way. Um, I define the terms. I define how you approach me. And if you want to approach me, you're going to come this way. You're not going to come any way you want to come. You're going to come the way I tell you that you should come. And right now, how is that way? Right now, how do you come to God? Through Christ. Through Christ. He is the way, He is the door. All right? And this is very important. You don't come to God any other way than Jesus Christ. You just don't. All right? And what we have now is we have a lot of people, and not in the world, but even in Christianity, where. Your coming to God is sort of like, well, whatever sort of works, it doesn't really matter because God will accept you. Um, You don't need to come necessarily through Jesus. In fact, um, I heard someone say you don't even need to really believe who Jesus is to get back to God. Well, what does the New Testament say? What did Christ say? I'm the way. Notice what He said. He said, I'm not a a way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through Me we come through christ but in the old testament they had this picture and the hebrew every day when they got up and they went down to the tabernacle or they saw that temple they were reminded of certain things they were reminded that they don't come to god just any old way that they want to come to god but there's a very restricted a very defined way in which they were to approach him where did god's presence dwell in the temple specifically where in the Holy of Holies? Right. On the mercy seat, right? That's where the presence of God was. And what was over the mercy seat? Cherubim. Cherubim. Alright. Now, when you look at heaven, what do you have? You have the throne of God. And what is around the throne of God? Cherubim. Cherubim. See the imagery there? Now, again, was the presence of God everywhere in Israel? Yes. Yes. God is everywhere, right? He's omnipresent. What does that mean? He's everywhere equally at the same time. But where did you see His manifested presence? On the mercy seat. And if you were a priest and you just happened to stumble in there, what happened? You were dead. What happened to Aaron's sons when they decided they were going to just do whatever? Yeah, see? And here's the problem with Aaron's sons. Aaron's sons said, God God will accept us the way we are. God will, God will, They said He offered strange fire. What does that mean? Well, they didn't follow the procedure. And God says, no, I'm going to make a example of you two that you're going to follow the procedure. If you want to come into My presence, here's what you do. And if you don't do it, you're dead. And in the Old Testament, they would tie a rope around the high priest's foot, ankle, when he went in one day a year to offer the blood, in case he did something wrong, they could at least pull the body out. All right? That's how serious it was. Now, compare that to the average Christian today that just willy-nilly walks into the presence of God and thinks it's something that, you know, we're doing God a favor by sort of showing up.
1: Yeah. It was around something. It was around his
0: ankle. Or, and he had little bells so that he could hear the bells. As long as the bells are going, you know he's okay. If the bells stop ringing, he's in trouble. You know, and you might need to pull the rope out in a little bit. That was, a, that was a, um, a practice. If you look back at secular history, the practice was that they would do that. All right? You're right, it's not in, in Scripture, but the practice was if the guy is dead inside there, nobody can go in there, how do we get him out? All right, And that's what they did. They started doing that. But it showed the seriousness of how you approach God. And unfortunately, I think we, we've lost the seriousness of that in our Christianity. We just sort of waltz into the presence of God and think we're doing God a favor by showing up, and we don't really deserve to be there unless it's through the blood of Christ, right? We don't deserve His presence. But the heavenly temple, going back to this, when you look at the book of Revelation, you go through the book of Revelation, you see a heavenly tabernacle. You see a heavenly temple there. In fact, in Hebrews 8, Moses is instructed to construct the earthly tabernacle the exact same way that the heavenly one was constructed. And it's really interesting. Um, do I have this on the next slide or not? Yeah, I have it. When you look at the temple in the Old Testament, and you, and these are just this is just a 20,000 foot view of it. You can actually do online research and see it a little bit clearer. But uh, you'd have an outer courtyard. There's an outer courtyard to the tabernacle that the average Jew could come into. All right. And in there you had the brazen altar. This was a large altar that was used to offer the sacrifices. They would burn the sacrifices on this huge altar. All right, It's not present in heaven. In fact, when you look at the book of Revelation, it doesn't even talk about a brazen altar. Why? You don't need it. Right? You don't need a brazen altar. Who's the sacrifice? Christ. There's no need to be offering sacrifices in heaven, burning goats and bulls on an altar in heaven. That's... That was something for earth. That was something for here. You also see the bronze labor, the, the bronze sea, and that was used for the ceremonial washings. All right, That's not in heaven either. Both of these things are not in heaven. They don't need to be in heaven. All right, That's the outer courtyard. But then you have the holy place or the outer sanctuary. What do you have in there? We have a candlestick. This is a large seven-branch menorah candlestick. Um, it was light. It gave light in the temple. It was used to light the temple. And in heaven, in the book of Revelation, chapter 4, verse 5, what do you see before the throne of God? You see seven burning lamps. So you see the imagery of the seven lamps. Um, representing, as many Bible commentators say, the sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit. So you got the seven um, lights or lamps in heaven, just as you have on the earth. Then you have a a table of showbread. That signified God's provision. You don't necessarily see that in heaven, but what you do see in the oven is the altar of incense. Remember that? What uh, What did John see under the altar in heaven? The souls that were martyred. What altar is that? Well, the altar of incense. What did the altar of incense signify? Well, it signified the prayers of God going up. In heaven. It signified prayers. And the priests had incense that they were to compound and make and use, all right, when they did temple service. And incense signified the prayers of the saints. And we see this in heaven. We have the. Now, what's it look like in heaven? I don't know what it looks like in heaven. I mean, John has given us imagery. But there's an altar of incense in heaven. And the prayers are the prayers of the saints. There's prayers going up even now. And then we have the Holy of Holies. What is in the Holy of Holies? That's the presence of God. The Ark of the Covenant is in the Holy of Holies. And the Ark of the Covenant, what's the lid of the Ark of the Covenant? That's the mercy seat. And who dwells on the mercy seat? Well, that's the Shekinah glory presence of God that was in the tabernacle and in the temple. And it signified God's presence with His people. And in heaven, what do you see? You see the sort of the Ark of the Covenant. It's interesting. Um, John says, in when the seven bowls are poured out, he says he saw the the um, I forget what. It, let's look at Revelation 16 just so I get it right. But if you just read through the Book of Revelation, you're going to find this imagery of the tabernacle just popping up again and again and again. Yeah. Sixteen, I think it's sixteen. Um, just a minute here, I'm trying to fifteen, fifteen, five all right, not sixteen, fifteen, five. see that's what happens when I go from memory. I'm getting older and I forget things, but I'm close. I got close there. Um, after this I looked and the sanctuary of the tent of the witness of heaven was open. Sounds like a tabernacle kind of thing, doesn't it? And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chest. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. What's the sanctuary? Well, that appears to be the very throne of God, the very place where God dwells. And what happened while the wrath of God was being poured out? It said, this is the final wrath. This is, this is it. This is the end. God is finishing up the tribulation. And while He's doing that, no one can enter the tabernacle or the, where God is in heaven because it's filled with the smoke of the wrath of God. God is saying, stay away until I'm done with my wrath. And so you see this tabernacle. You see bronze, you know, the, um, the uh, altar of incense. You see the seven golden lampstands. And according to Hebrews, the earthly tabernacle is patterned after the new one. Now then the question comes well, what about the eternal state? There's no need for a temple, right? Why is it? God dwells with men. In fact, in Revelation 21, it says, I saw no temple there. There's no need for a temple because God's presence is with man. What did the tabernacle, what did the temple signify basically to Israel? It signified that God was separated from His people because of their sin. And the way that you approach the presence of God in the Old Testament under the Mosaic Law is that you did your sacrifices. You approached Him with the blood sacrifice. You approached Him a certain way, doing certain things on certain days of the year, and you didn't just walk in there any day you wanted to. Alright? And here's the other thing. Worship in the Old Testament was not what you got out of it. That's one of the main problems in churches today. People say, well, I come to church and I didn't get anything out of it. Well, who says you're supposed to get something out of coming to church? That, that's an American consumer mentality. The Old Testament person did not come back from the temple and his wife said, well, how was worship today? Oh, man, I was really blessed. I got, I got blessed down at the temple. What did he say? No, I took the goat down. It got killed and they burned it for our family's sin. It's not what you got out of it. It's what you brought to it. And one of the problems in churches today, and I'm getting on my little soapbox if you don't mind. And one of the problems in churches today is we have a mentality that we come to a church and we say, what, "What do we get out of it?" What, you know, I like the music, I like the preaching, I like whatever, 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 and we don't approach it and say, "What can I bring to it?" I don't come to get something out of. It. You realize I don't come to this church for what I get out of it. That sounds heretical, right? I mean, I like the preaching, I like the singing, but that's not why I'm here. I'm here for what I can bring to it. I'm here for what I can do. And that needs to be our attitude. And that was the attitude of the Israelite when they came to the, to the temple to worship. They brought something with them—an animal to kill, to sacrifice—and that was how they worship God. And um, you don't—I think we've lost that. We just—we just, you know, we have a very consumeristic kind of mentality where we want it our way, and we assume that God's just going to accept what we bring Him because we mean well. We mean well. Well, I'll tell you what. I think Aaron's two sons meant well when they offered strange fire. The problem is God burned them up and killed them. You can mean well and not make it, right? I mean, what about those? when we talked about Matthew 7, those folk that stand, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Oh, they meant well. They, they, they were convinced that they were on their way to heaven. And the people on the broad way are convinced they're going to get to heaven. The problem is when they get to the end of the road, they find out. It goes to hell. And they scratch their heads. But I meant well. I was sincere. doesn't cut it. And in the Old Testament, you could be sincere in your temple worship and die because you didn't do it right. God was serious about it. Um, I've got to get off my high horse now. We'll be on this forever. The whole point is you approach God His way. You do it His way. And as long as you approach God His way, there's no problem. And God defines the terms for approaching Him, right? Because we are the sinner. We are the ones who offended Him. We are the ones who sinned. God has given us a way back. And that's grace, isn't it? To give us a way back. He gave us a way back. And it's not tough. You believe. You believe in Jesus. You believe what He did. You put your faith in Him. It's not that hard. It's easy. But it's hard for people because they don't want to give up. They don't want to give up. You also have the Holy of Holies or the inner sanctuary. What is that? Well, that's the cherubim. That's where the presence of God dwelled. And the imagery of the two cherubim with their wings outspread is, is the imagery you see in heaven where you got the cherubim around the throne of God, guarding not God from us, but us from God. you understand that? It's guarding us from God. You can only approach so far in heaven and you can't go any farther. Now, there's coming a day when the cherubim are gone, right? When God is with men and He dwells with them and walks face to face and we talk to God. That's the eternal state. But right now, even in heaven, there's the imagery of the separation. All right, The cherubim are protectors of God's holiness. And they're not to protect God from us because God... (coughs) That God's everywhere. He's on my presence, so He doesn't need protection. But we need protection from Him. Yeah. After. That's the eternal state. Okay. Now let's look at heaven. What are, what are some things? You know, this is really, a, um, if you want to call it an outline or an overview or a 30,000 foot view of Revelation 21 and 22. Um, Revelation 20, of course, ends with um, the great white throne judgment. And we talk about death and hell were cast alive into the lake of fire. And um, that's the eternal state. That begins the eternal state for the lost. But the eternal state for the redeemed come with the creation of a new heavens and new earth. Now, why does God create a new heavens and new earth? Why does He do that? Yeah, this one has the stain of sin, the stain of corruption. And and the thing is, God doesn't renovate it. He erases it and starts over. That's how bad sin is. See, we don't think sin's that bad. Look how bad it is. It ruined the current universe. It ruined it. And the only way for God to redeem it is to erase it and start over again. And as an aside, how long does it take Him to do that? He could say it into existence. It doesn't even take seven days this time. So, some nut job comes along and says, "Well, we got to, you know, it's going to take evolution. God's got to evolve this new thing." Don't even go there. God doesn't need to do that. God didn't even need to take six days to start out with. You know that, right? He could have just spoke it all into existence. Boom, and it would have been done. So don't don't fall into the trap of thinking we have got to bow to the science to sign this. We don't have to do that. God create In fact, it's interesting. I was listening to a message this week, and uh, the person said there's no such thing as creation science. Yeah. All right? You know, there's an Institute for creation, science, ICR. But technically, technically, there's no such thing as creation. science, because what is science? Well, science, by definition, is observable, right? Who observed creation? Nobody. So it's not observable. By definition, science is repeatable, right? If I mix these two elements together and they go boom, they always go boom. Why can you repeat creation? No. So it's not observable, it's not repeatable. So it's not science. It's miracle. God created miraculously. And there's no such thing as creation science. You you are, you are now smarter than all the evolutionists in all the universities in the world. By the way, evolution is a religion. We talked about that. It's a religion. It has, it has faith. It has certain tenets that you believe. You go on faith. So it's it's a religion. Atheism is a religion. Yeah. Yes, there's going to be a new heaven. Why is
1: there going to be a new heaven?
0: Because the current heaven is tainted. The entire universe, as we know it, is tainted with sin. And God is going to erase it and start over again. He's just going to erase it. That's what it says in Revelation 21. John says, and I saw a new heavens and a new earth. So God erases the current heavens and the current earth and He recreates a new one in which there is no sin.
1: Okay, <laughs> okay so like, where are we when the new heaven and new earth being created? Um,
0: the Bible doesn't say. It's instantaneous. I mean, it's an instantaneous creation. How does God pull out? I don't know. He didn't tell us that. Yeah, boom, then there it's there again. Yeah, I don't know how that works out. You know, you got, See, that's details. That's where you got to sit. You got to go with God on this and just say, well, He didn't tell me that, but I'm sure He'll work it out somehow. I don't know how that operates. Right? Yeah, we'll find out when it happens. We do know that there is a new heavens and new earth created. God creates it all anew. How does that work out? What plane of dimensionality of existence are we on if you watch Star Trek and all that stuff? I don't know. It doesn't tell us that stuff. But it's new. It's it's a brand new. And and it's a perfect place, right? It's going to be perfectly suited for us. So what's not there? When when you look through Revelation 21 and 22, the basic outline is what's there, what isn't. What's in heaven and what is not in heaven. And when I talk about heaven, I'm talking about eternal state heaven. What do we have there, what do we don't? Well there's no more sea. What did John say? And I saw New Heaven New Earth, and there was no more sea. There's no more oceans. There's no need for oceans. Why is that? I, well, God created it that way. All right. Um, what did ocean signify to the Jews in the Old Testament? Separation, mystery. There's no need. There's, there's no need for sea. And also, it's probably I like what Vance Havner said. Probably John liked this particular one because in his exile, he's exiled to the island of Patmos in the middle of the sea, and said, you know, the great thing about the new heaven, there's no sea there, there's no separation, there's no there's no need for that. It's going to be a place of beauty beyond our imagination and comprehension. We're not we can't even comprehend the beauty and the wonder this place that God creates. But there's no sea. Revelation 21, one. there's no sea. And then here's some nice things that's not there. John said there's no more tears, death, sorrow, or pain. What are those things? Sin. sin. What did sin bring into the world? Well, death, right? So, in heaven there's no death. So whatever body you get, like we said a couple weeks ago, whatever body you get is an eternal body. It will never die. It will never wear out. It will never wind down. How does that work out? I don't know how that works out. There's no need for doctors in heaven. There's no need for hospitals. You think God can create an eternal body? Sure He can. He can do that. Yeah. they got messed up with sin. And it's going to be a physical body. Understand that. It's not going to be, you're not going to be some ghost floating around the heaven forever. It's, going to, it's a place of physical existence. And how do you know it's a place of physical existence? Well, what did John do with a rod? He measured it. He gave the dimensionalities of it. This is not some dream state. It's not some spirit plane of existence. This is a, a real place. It's, it's solidity. It has matter... How does that work out? We aren't told. But God creates a body where there is no more death. We don't die. We cannot die. Not only that, we can't experience any sorrow. What causes sorrow? Sin. There's no sin there. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Before you continue, I've got two things, both of which I will say at the outset is speculation, but I think I've got some reason for having speculation. I want to go back to the the new heavens and the new earth, and then I want to talk about the no more Uh, sea. I don't think the new heavens is a reference to the place where God is slash we are when we die or when we get raptured. Um, i believe that it's a reference to okay there's the earth then there's the atmosphere which is the first heaven there is the stratosphere which is the second heaven there's the ionosphere which is the final space in other words first space second space third space and i don't think that's literally heaven capital h i think it's heavens one, two three second you're right on that Okay. Secondly, therefore, it's not about what's going to happen to us when the new heaven is created, because I don't think that's the heaven that's in question here. Secondly, um, the no more see part, I think it's simply going back to the same thing that will be going back to physically, whereas we were initially through our first parents, Adam and Eve, given perfect, uncorruptible bodies. I think the same is true with the earth. It was perfect and one land mass and there's a couple scripture references that give me some substance for that but also some logic goes into that because when there was one language and there was no division we were one Mm -hmm. people and um i believe that when lucifer was evicted it was such an upset to god's perfection that not only, well, okay, later on, not directly related to his eviction, but when the Tower of Babel thing, and then the Mm -hmm. separate language thing, and then the moving to your own language groups here, there, and elsewhere happened, I think Satan's eviction caused the beginning of the separations of the landmass, because if we were one people, one language unified at first, why would there have been different land masses mm-hmm. immediately at creation? That's a good question
0: because somebody's going to talk about that in a few weeks.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah,
0: when Marshall comes in, he's going to talk about that. But um, I think if you read Genesis 1, it seems that there was possibly an original single landmass, right. but there was sea.
2: There was still an ocean. There was still an ocean. No sea, it's just the sea was out. Right. And, 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 then, and what this and is, and is saying
0: is in the new ha- earth, there's no sea. It's a single land mass. Oh, yeah. All right? That's the way God created it. Right. You know? Right. If you want to find out why He did it that way, ask Him when you get to heaven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, During this time, God, you
1: know, His moment of speaking or whatever, He's like, You make the heavens and they make the earth. Is there going to be, a, I mean, some people are
0: going to be living in heaven and some people on earth? No. So is it, We're going to be in heaven at that point. And again, the Bible doesn't give us all the details.
2: Well, it's the New
0: Jerusalem. We have the New Jerusalem. That appears to be something constant. We don't have all the nitty-gritty details. I'm sorry. The Bible doesn't give us that. The Bible does say God creates a new heavens and new earth in which there is no taint of sin. Okay? How does He do that? When does He do that? He does it at the end of the millennium. How does He do it? I don't know. Where are we going to be at? doesn't say. All right? But it's going to be a new place. So... Wherever we land in the eternal state is a new creation. It is a new universe that we will be in. Um, probably a vision of the boat of God. He had. We talked about that think, a couple of weeks ago. Possibly. We we don't know that. He said it's, I can't really explain it. And that's the other thing here too, folks. If we if, if God came down here and gave you a trip to heaven and you came back and tried to explain it, you couldn't. So all these guys that go to heaven and come back and tell you what heaven is like, they're wrong. They haven't gone to heaven. all right? Probably had a pizza with anchovies and double olives or something and got a vision. Um, but they didn't go to heaven and back. All right? Um, heaven is a wonderful place, and you know, God creates a perfect environment for us. And he removes, since, since the universe is created anew, there's no pain of sin. There's none of the things that come along with sin, like tears, death, sorrow, pain. All of that stuff, that, that, that's the result of sin. But what
2: about tears of
0: joy? Joy, maybe, I think the tears he's talking about here, connected with here, is the tears of sorrow, the tears of pain. Alright? Are we going to have joy forevermore? Absolutely. Uh, how does that work out? I don't know. Okay, are we going to have emotions in the eternal state? Sure, we are, but none of the negative ones. There's going to be no hate, no sorrow, no pain, no anguish, no nothing. Can you imagine living like that in a state of pure joy? you know and uh I think there's some implications in the tears, death, sorrow, or pain. There's some implications there because some people say, well, how could I and this is, you know we talked about this a couple of weeks ago well how can I enjoy heaven forever if uh, somebody I love is not there Well God gives you a new brain and God gives you a new insight and God gives you a new understanding and it's possible that God it says even in Revelation there's in remembrance no more of those former things the, the former things there's no remembrance of them I don't know how that works and all the implications of that All I know is this when I get to heaven and I hit the eternal state I will not have anything that will diminish my joy in any way. And if I do remember people that aren't there, I will have a perfect understanding of why they're not there. And I will know and it will not bother me. You say, well, that's pretty cruel and callous. I No, that's, that's the way God created it. That, that's the way it is. We don't know that. If we are... The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say we are aware of them. The Bible says, by the way, that the smoke of their torment ascends up before the holy angels and before the throne of God. It doesn't say we observe that. Okay? We're not going to be walking around heaven taking a peephole and looking into hell and seeing our loved ones down there. That's not. The Bible doesn't talk about that. If there is a remembrance... We will have a perfect understanding of why they're there. Do you follow what I'm saying? Well, but it's quite possible there is no... God doesn't tell us that. He doesn't tell. What He does tell us: there's no more sorrow, pain, or, or joy. So it's different for us. And I would assume, and you know, just reading in between the white spaces, I would make the understanding that no, I will not have any awareness of. Them. God will wipe my memory of that because I will be in the presence of God with pure joy forever. God will wipe away anything that would cause me any, any twinge of sorrow or grief. How does that work? I don't know how that works. That's what the Bible says. We've got to go with that. Um,
2: I'm going to throw this in here even though it's in direct... Disagreement with your belief that we won't occupy the new earth. I think, based on Revelation 21, I John saw the New Jerusalem coming down from mm-hmm. God out of heaven, out of heaven, adorned as a bride for her husband. I I think that the New Jerusalem is what we currently refer to as heaven. I think that it's going to come down. Furthermore, well, I think it says it's going to. We're come going to get down. to that and uh, uh, I don't understand the purpose of a new earth, unless it's for our... We're going to get to that. Okay.
0: We're going to get to that. But yeah, good point. We're going to get to that. Um, the point in number two here is that there's nothing in heaven that's going to diminish your eternal joy in the least amount. No earthly memory... And I think God has to do a memory wipe. Why is that? Well, if, I rem- if I'm in heaven and I remember all the times I fouled up down here, how do you think that's going to affect me? Yeah, you, you, you say, boy, you know, I remember when I fouled up, and you know, I could be in a, you know, a funk for a million years because I forgot, you know, I remembered I did something wrong, and I should have turned left, and I turned right. God, God does a, he he transforms our complete understanding. folks. It's going to be totally different. And we don't know how that all works out and what all that means. We do know that that in the eternal state there is nothing that's going to diminish our joy one single bit. Nothing. Perfect joy, perfect peace, perfect happiness, perfect contentment forever. Um, There's no more insecurity. The idea there is there's no more night. Why is that? Well, the Lamb is the light. Right there's no night. What does night signify? You know, the the light goes out. In in many cases, uh, night is seen as ignorance, as darkness, as there's not anything there. There's no threats. You know, there's nothing bad in heaven. The gates it says the gates of the city are not closed. Why? Why did you close the gates of a city in biblical times? Protection. There's no need to close the eternal heavenly gates because there's nothing. In heaven, there's nothing on the new earth that's a threat. There's nothing. There, there's nothing wrong with it. Um, we'll have total peace and total security. There's no. You're not worried. Well, you know, maybe maybe some souls will get loose from the lake of fire and attack us. No, that's not going to happen. We're going to be eternally secure. Revelation 21: and 25 in that talks about that. Uh, no more sickness. What is sickness? Well, that's when the body doesn't work right. You have an eternal body that's going to work perfectly forever. And it's interesting here in in Revelation 22. It says there is a river that comes from the throne of God, and on the banks of the river you have twelve trees producing fruit. And it says for the health of the people to eat it. The idea there, health, the concept of health there is not. Well, I got to eat it or I'll get sick. It's that I eat it in order to enjoy it. Does that make any sense? When we think of health, we think, well, if I don't do that, I'm going to get sick. The eating of the fruit from the tree is for the pleasure, for the enjoyment. It's sort of a, it's like eating a really good, juicy strawberry. You know, if I don't eat it, I'm not going to get sick. But I enjoy eating it, don't I? Hopefully you all do too. That's God's perfect fruit. He couldn't do any better than strawberries. strawberries. but uh, Except maybe a raspberry now and then. Those those are pretty good too. But the whole point is we eat it for the enjoyment, for the pleasure of it.
2: But it's, yeah, I agree. But it's not 12 trees, it's one tree
0: with 12 fruits. Well, 12 fruits, you're right. There's a tree with 12 fruits and I guess every, Every every month it has a new... Fruit on it, and it's for the health and the healing of the nations. Because well, it's for the healing. That means if you don't eat it, you gotta you can get sick. No, it's for your health, for your enjoyment, for your pleasure. All right, it's it's an addition kind of thing, not a subtraction kind of thing. Here's good. There's no Satan there. Who's in? who, who, who has access to heaven right now? Satan. Satan does. How do you know that? Well, Job one, Job two, we looked at that. Well, the eternal state. There's no devil in heaven. And by implication, there's no demons there either. He's forever excluded from that place. He's not there accusing us before the throne of God. He's gone. He's, he's a distant memory, if anything. He's not there. Um, Revelation seven sixteen talks, and this is the current heaven, but it's talking about the future one as well. There's no hunger, thirst, or heat. What does that mean? There's no... Deprivation. There's no scarcity. You know, God. They're, they're, you know, you, don't, you know, God doesn't say, "Well, you know, our food waters are running a little low here. We need to go on a diet." You know, yeah, Baptist over there likes that idea, right? Um, eat all the fried chicken you want. Uh, sorry, or pizza or whatever it is. Um, there's no hunger or thirst. There's 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 no deprivation, and, and this comes. You know, in John's day, most people worked all day for the food that they ate that day. I mean, life consisted of working 12 hours a day to eat. Now, you know, most of us here have more than we need to eat, right? In fact, some of us could use a little less, probably. But in those days, you worked all day long for what you ate. And the concept of most people to have plenty and not have to work was... A luxury beyond their comprehension or understanding. And one of the imagery's images that, that John brings and that, that God gives us is that in heaven there's no hunger, there's no thirst, there's no deprivation. They lived in a dry land, right? Israel was hot; it was uncomfortable. They didn't have air conditioning. All right, when it gets to 80 degrees, I got the air conditioner on. I don't want the hot heat. You know, I'm not one of those people that can go down to Florida in the middle of summer and enjoy it. You know they can stay down there. I'll go north where it's cooler. Um, but there's no, there's nothing to make you uncomfortable. Perfect comfort. Not too hot, not too cold. You're never going to be thirsty. You're never going to be hungry. You're never going to be tired. Right? How does that work out? God gives us a perfect environment and a perfect body to enjoy that perfect environment forever. And we're going to be there billions and billions of years and think we've just arrived. It's going to be that wonderful. Uh, there's no temple there. Revelation 21, 22. John says, And I saw no temple. Now, what is part of the current heaven? Third heaven. Well, you got a temple there. We, we talked about that. And that's why we talked about it. Because when John went to the book of Revelation, you know, when he was given the vision of the book of Revelation, he saw a temple. He of, saw an altar there. He saw seven lampstands. He saw an inner sanctuary. He saw... Cherubim, he saw all of that. But in eternal state, there's no temple. Why? What did the temple signify to the Jew? Separation, a barrier. What do we find in Revelation 21 and 22? No barriers. There is no barrier between you and God. Because there is nothing in you that is Imperfect. There is no sin. There is no blemish. It's starting. But it's completed in the new heaven and new earth where I will be able to stand before God and not be ashamed. See, that's the thing we don't quite get, I think, here now. It, it, these guys that say, you know, well, Jesus showed up to me last night and we had a good talk. They're whacked. That, that doesn't work that way. If God were to physically show up here in the presence of Jesus Christ, we would all unravel. Because we would see our own utter imperfection and sin. When John got a vision of Jesus, he fell on his face and had to be picked up. When Daniel got a, revel, a vision of God, he had to be picked up off the ground. And and Isaiah said, damn me, when he got a vision of He said, i got filthy mouth. And it's like, well, Isaiah, you're the prophet of God. Good night. If there's anybody in the whole Israel that had a voice that spoke for God, it's you. And what is your assessment? My mouth is filthy. In the eternal state, we're not going to experience that. We're going to be able to stand in God's presence and enjoy His company without any thought of any imperfection in us. Pure relational joy and that's approximated in life you know have you ever had a relationship with someone where you can just be yourself you don't have to put on a facade you don't have to pretend you can just be yourself and there's nothing you're not ashamed of anything about yourself we approximate that a little bit you know if you have a good marriage it approximates that but we don't hit it in this life, do we? Because there's always a part of us that, boy, you know, I can't expose that part of me. I can't let somebody know about that. But in heaven, I'll be able. You'll, in heaven, I'll be able to completely be 100% transparent to you because there's nothing going to. There's not going to be any thought, any imperfection in me that I would be ashamed of of you knowing about me. Now, right now, there is. Right now, there's a lot of pieces of me that I don't want you to know about me. And there's a lot of pieces that you have that you don't want other people to know about. But in heaven that's gone. Perfect communion and fellowship with God, the Creator, the One who made you. Think of that. That's cool. Being able to just talk to God like you talk to somebody here. I don't. That, that blows your mind. And there's no curse. What's the curse? The curse is the universe winding down. A billion years into the eternal state, heaven is just as new and just as fresh as when it was first created in the new heavens and new earth. There's no decay. There's nothing winding down. There's no rust. (laughs) Um, Peter says, put your treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt. Christ said that. And thieves don't break in and steal it. And Peter talks about an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled and doesn't fade away. When you get to heaven, nothing's going to fade. The, the, the shine on the golden streets are not going to diminish with age. There's nothing that's going to decay and, and get old and dusty and dirty and decaying. That's a good one. Ezekiel 40 through 48, you mean? Um, that's a toughie. And uh, probably the best understanding of that is, is referring to the temple of the tribulational period where it's talking about a temple there. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a tough one. It's not the eternal temple because there's not even an eternal temple. So it's talking about some earthly temple that, that is yet to be there and many would describe that as the, as the tribulational temple. And by the way, there's a millennial temple as well. We never talked about that, did we? Um, we'll do that in, in the last eschatology. But the point is, there is a millennial temple. And you say, well, why in the world would there be a millennial temple? I mean, Jesus is reigning. What in the world do you need a millennial temple for? And the answer is, they're going to be offering sacrifices. You say, wait, what? stop, wait. Christ is the sacrifice, right? So why are they offering sacrifices in a millennial temple? Well, think of, if you think about it a minute, it makes sense. Let's say you were born 500 years from now, in the middle of the millennium. What will you know? What kind of environment will you be in, first of all? Perfect. Near perfect, right? I mean, there's going to be still sinners around, but near, near perfect. People are going to talk about, if you're, if you're a little kid and you're going to school, they're going to maybe talk about the time there was wars, and you're not going to have any way to relate to that. Because there's no war. Right? Um, There is no. you can walk down the streets in the middle of the millennium and not worry about being mugged. Because God is going to reign and rule with a rod of iron. You're not going to have the crime problem that you have today. It's going to be a a place of of environmental beauty. God's going to reverse the curse to a large extent. It's going to go back to what it was like in the garden. A place of beauty. You're going to be in a a place of beauty, a place of peace, tranquility. There's not going to be any of the... Massive sins that we know, like murder and stealing and theft. That's not going to be any of that stuff. You don't have to worry about what channel you watch on TV because it's all going to be good stuff on TV. You're not going to know what war is. So, as a person growing up, how are you going to understand the heinousness and the wickedness of what sin is in a perfect environment? Well, you've got a memorial sacrifice. It's sort of like that's the best way to explain it. That's that's the best way. There are going to be sacrifices in the millennium. They're not going to be um, efficacious. In other words, they're not going to be sacrifices you have to make in order to be forgiven, but they're going to be memorial sacrifices that that are going to be done there that people will remember what Christ did. There needs to be a memorial because we are human beings. We're very forgetful, are we not? That's what the Lord's Supper is. You know that. It's a memorial. Do this in remembrance of me. When you take the Lord's Supper here at Open Door, I hope you stop and consider Christ dying on the cross and taking your place. And that bread, although we take a wafer, the body that was broken, the blood that was spilled, that you remember that. Most of us have never seen the sacrifice of an animal. I've never seen that. I've never observed that. All right? But we need to remember that. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Which means there will still be um, the sinful... Yeah, and there will still be sinners. But, but they are going to be in an environment where that expression of sin is very well curtailed. Yeah. Okay. You know, there's not going to be what you have today. Mass chaos and confusion and wars. Right. It's not going to exist. So, in a perfect environment where you're born after 500 years of peace and, and, and you know, beauty and all, how are you going to comprehend... The, the the seriousness of sin. There's going to be memorial sacrifices made. That's the best we can. And we'll talk maybe more about that when we get there. Yeah. The, the, the were
1: those
0: who were no. Okay. They're the ones that enter, and we'll we'll sort that out. They're the ones that enter in their physical bodies.
1: Where's
0: that at? With that. Ezekiel 40 to 48. And that, that's a good point. It, 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 there is a millennial temple and there are sacrifices made during that time, but they are memorial. They are not efficacious. They are memorial sacrifices and
2: made. I want to go back to where uh, the, currently the angels that keep being referred to as cherubim are worshiping around the throne of God, Isaiah 6. mm mm-hmm. um, I keep saying every time you either utter it or I see it up there that, okay, it's seraphim because seraphim are fire angels mm-hmm. and the only angels that can be in the Holy of Holies with God day and night, holy, 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 are those who won't drop dead like you or I will drop mm-hmm. dead in the presence of God and because his glory is so Right, so awesome that that's the only kind of of, of, of uh, type of makeup physicality mm-hmm. whatever that can be in His presence. So it's fire angels or seraphim. Now maybe they're cherubim, as in we're human, but some are women, some are men, some are males, some are female. I don't know. Maybe it's cherubim mm. with a kind of cherubimic quality named seraphim. I don't mm. know. But yeah,
0: therapy. it uses seraphim, cherubim, and you see both of them around the throne of God. Okay, you do see both of them. I mean, across the mercy seat, it was the cherubim with their wings outspread. Yeah, um, I don't know if we can fully sort out when we get there. We'll make, it'll make sense? Yeah. The point is, there are angelic beings around the throne of God that protect us from Him. Right. All right. And by the way, Lucifer was the anointed cherub. He was the number one right. worship leader in right. heaven. Right. And he wasn't there. What are some other things missing in heaven? I'm going to try and get through this this week. Uh, there's no sun. Why do, you don't, why do you not need a sun? Well, Jesus Christ is the light of the new heaven. Um, there's nothing that defiles or produces sin of any kind. Revelation 21, There's nothing defiling in heaven. There's, there's nothing there that would cause any imperfection at any level. Even a little bit. It won't be there. Um, there's no unredeemed there Revelation 21.8 and 22.15 talks about outside are the evil people there's nothing in heaven that are, is evil we, there, there's a, in the eternal state there's complete separation the lost are completely separated from the redeemed the redeemed are completely separated from the lost and there's no mixture there's nothing that goes either way um, The tree, no tree of the knowledge of good and evil I, I like that right? How how quick would heaven empty out if there's a tree there that you could need of? You know, the only tree there is the tree of life. God got rid of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what does that mean? That means there's no way to foul it up. That's quite honestly, I'll tell you what. The more I think about it, this is what really appeals to heaven to me. You know, it's great to be there. It's great to be in the presence of God. It's great to enjoy the company of the saints. It's great all that. But the thing that appeals to me is there's no sin there. And I can't mess it up. I'm not going to want to mess it up, but I can't mess it up. It's impossible for me to be in heaven for a billion years and make a mistake and get booted out. That's the wonderful thing about heaven. You can't mess it up. What's the present in heaven? The holy city, the new Jerusalem, the city of the people of God. What is this? Well we don't have time to completely go through every aspect of it, read Revelation 21. It describes this, this city that appears to be, as best as some Bible scholars can, can um, ascertain it to be, either a cube of 2,000 miles on a side or a, a pyramidal structure where you've got a base of 2,000 miles square and 2,000 miles high. It, it could be either one. The imagery would fit either one. But let's say it's a cube. Anybody, any mathematicians in here? What's 2,000 times 2,000? 4 million. Right? 4 million times 2,000. 8 billion. Right? So this is a cube, 8 billion cubic miles of, eight, of a space of 8 billion cubic miles. All right? Now, how many people have ever lived... Well, if you do the math, maybe 40 billion, give or take. Well, let's just assume, for the sake of argument, that one out of every five people get to heaven, which is probably a high number, right? One out of every five. Because Christ said only a few find it. But let's say one out of every five. That means that in the eternal state, you will have one cubic mile all to yourself in the New Jerusalem. That's how big it is. It's not going to be crowded. You're not going to have a crowding problem in heaven. It's spacious. It's big. It's great. It's the New Jerusalem. And what is the New Jerusalem? Apparently, the New Jerusalem is the city for the church, for the redeemed church. That is our place. What were the Hebrew, the the Israelites, what were they promised? A land, right? We were promised a city. Um. How does that sort out? I don't know. Will we have access to the earth? Sure we will. We'll be able to enjoy the earth. Will, will the people on earth have access to heaven? Sure, or New Jerusalem? Sure they will. But really, New Jerusalem is a place for us. It's the city of God. And it's big. 2,000 miles square. That's big. that That's a city the size from here to the west coast. Alright? It's big. And that's going to be our eternal abode it's gonna and think of a city that big that's built by god the beauty of it and john's trying to describe the beauty He says well i looked at the foundations of it and it's you know i see emerald and i see jasper and i see topaz and i see uh diamond and on and on, and on it goes and what is, is that real diamond is it real topaz is it real emerald probably not but what does he look like well all the colors of the rainbow are shining through this Magnificent, magnificent city. The streets, he says, are transparent gold. What does that look like? Beats me. It's a huge, sparkling gemstone, lighted diamond, something looking like thing. (laughs) I mean, that's what he. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't know how to describe it. You got a first-century Jewish guy trying to describe describe something that's undescribable. It's beautiful beyond comprehension and belief. God's manifested presence is there, and we we don't have to be shielded from it. We don't have to be shielded like we do now. We can stand in His presence and not be reduced to a smoking little ink spot on the floor. Um, Every new thing, everything is new. He said, "All things are new." There's nothing old in heaven. Everything's eternally new. Um, the fountain of the water of life. What did a fountain signify to the Jewish person in first-century Palestine in a hot, arid land? Signified refreshment. There's a fountain of living water coming from the throne of God. And even us, you know, where, where most people like to go, and you know, when you go on vacation, what do you want to land? sit around? A body of water, you know, go down the river, you know, enjoy the streams, uh, go by the ocean, sit on a beach, something. You know, there, there's something peaceful about that, and. Heaven's going to be an eternal place of that. The undiminished glory of God is going to be there, never fading. Never fading. We'll enjoy it forever. We will be in His presence forever. The river of the water of life. What is that? I don't know what that is, but it's something wonderful. And an image, imagery of the first century Jewish person, the idea of a water of life, of, of refreshment, was something very valuable. Because they didn't, they didn't go down and turn on their mowing faucet. Hope you all have mowing faucets. They didn't go to their house and turn on the mowing faucet and get cold water. You went down to the well and you drew a bucket out of it. The idea of having a water of living, a river of living water by you is incomprehensible to them. The tree of life is there. Um, The throne of God and of the Lamb is there. Christ is going to be there. Can you imagine talking to Christ? On a personal level, and just talking to him. In Revelation twenty two seventeen, it says the Spirit and the Bride say, "Come." So, if the Spirit and the Bride say come, what does that assume about that being our home? It's, it's our home, right? Because you don't invite somebody to somebody else's home; you invite them to your own home. Yes, we are. Okay,
1: so we
0: say to us, "Come." Yep. Go figure that out. Yeah, it gives you a headache. But it, it says the Spirit and the Bride say, "Come."
1: Yeah.
0: All right, there's an invitation to come. Um, how that works out, I don't know. How that all works out, you know.
2: But all of the people who are saved are not part of the raptured out bride. They right. They are the tribulation saints. There may
0: be some of them there, but the bride is the church.
2: The bride is the church. Yes. So that also
0: rules out the Old Testament. Right. And we're going to sort some of this out when we get to eschatology, folks. We can't answer all the questions here. But we'll sort this out when we get to the doctrine of end things. You know, who, who's the church, who's not the church, all that stuff. All right? But that's going to be in heaven. Quickly, let's look at the New Jerusalem. Finish this up. Um, how big is it? I, I'm sorry, 1,400 miles on a side, not 2,000. Um, so it contains uh, 2.7 billion square miles. That's a lot. That's big. Um, if you do the math, it probably gives each of us about a quarter... You've got your own little square mile of New Jerusalem all to yourself. Who created it? Our, God did. Now, if, when God builds something, what kind of thing does He build? Something really cool, doesn't He? I mean, it's a wonder. It's going to be a city that is beautiful beyond our comprehension and belief. It's going to be laid out perfectly. There's not going to be anything imperfect about it. Um, Its foundations consist of multicolored layers of shimmering and translucent gemstones. Are they really physical gemstones? I don't know. What did it look like to John? He described it. It's descriptive. It's 12 gates are 12 giant pearls. Now, is it pearl like we know it? But what did it look like to John? A pearl. Streets are translucent gold, like you have on your finger or in your earring. No, I don't know what it's like, but what did it look like to John? Gold. Its wall is one large diamond. Go figure that one out. He said it looks like a diamond. He can't describe it, folks. He can't can't put into words the beauty and, and wonder of this place. Who gets to stay in it? We do. The church, the bride of Christ. This is our eternal home. This is our city. The redeemed of all the ages may enter it, but we live there. That's our home. That's our place. And God Himself will be there as the light of the new Jerusalem and the light of the eternal state. Where will it be on? It will be on the new earth. How big is the new earth? I don't know how big it is. I don't know the physical dimensions of the new earth. But... It's big enough to have this large city on it. and we're not going to get to this. Um, I'll have to finish this up next week. We'll, we'll finish this up next week. Or I might, I might skip this and hit it in the eschatology part of the course. I might do that. Um, that would make more sense. But I put it this way, folks. you know, when, when God describes heaven and when you, when you read the Book of Revelation, and you see the description of heaven. It is something that's so wondrous, so beautiful, so beyond our ability in our fallen state to comprehend that were God to describe it to us, we wouldn't get it. It's that wonderful. It's like what it says in First Corinthians. It says, I has not seen, nor heard, nor entered into the mind of man the things that God has prepared for them that love Him. We can't even imagine it. It's so wonderful. And the only way you're going to be able to appreciate it is to get there. Yeah. And even then, you might not be able to do it for all of eternity. So it's, it's a wonderful thing. Alright, so let's. Uh, any quick questions before we stop or we'll go on next week. So, Father, thanks so much for this day and for giving us a wonderful day out. And thank you, Father, for the fact that you prepared a place for us. And that someday you're going to come back and take us home to be there. And that's going to be our eternal home. Thank You for that. Thank You for redeeming us. Thank You for telling us uh, a little bit about this wondrous place. And I pray that uh, all of us would look forward to that day when in perfection we can stand before You and just enjoy being there forever. Thank You, Father, for everything. In Christ's name, Amen.